0: Okay, we are live. Uh, Welcome to yet another installment of MSP webinars. I'm Steve Taylor, your host. Uh, If you're watching this live, you may be here in Zoom with us, or you may be live uh, watching it on YouTube. Um, You may be watching this later on YouTube. If so, please like and subscribe. Uh, you can go to mspwebinars.com and check out future webinars that are scheduled, and you can also join to become a member of MSP Webinars there, where you get some fantastic benefits like discounts to products like CloudBerry, IT Boost, uh, and other things like that, plus a monthly roundtable. So um, we're going to start with some ground rules. I, I went over some of this earlier, but I'm just going to kind of go over it again, and um, Please use the Q and A section for questions and answers. So uh, you ask questions and we provide answers. Okay. Um, if you want to just make a comment or general chat, you can you can do that in the chat section of Zoom. Um, since we have quite a few panelists today, um, if if I see a question come in, I'm going to do my best to. Direct that question to the person that I think can best answer it, and then if other guys here have follow-up answers that they want to add, um, we we got to figure out a way to uh, to do that without talking over one another because I don't I don't want general chaos. So, um, for those of you that are panelists, do you have the ability to raise your hand on on the on the software, not like this? <laughs> okay i don't think you do so um feel free to just you know put put a put a hand up or something and i'll i'll pay as best attention to you as i possibly can um i don't think we need any like slides or screen sharing for this um today's webinar this is going to be really focused on business process. Okay. So we're talking about the process of converting your clients that are currently break fixed. They just call you as needed, converting those clients to managed services to where they're giving you a monthly recurring revenue, because that's, that's what being a managed service provider is all about. Right. So um, Andy, I am going to kind of let you take this because you had Uh, a great approach as to what you think the three camps people that are watching this may be in.
1: Yeah. um, So effectively there's, I kind of broke it down. There's three camps. There's the, I've heard of what a managed service provider is. Um, I'm not sure really exactly what it is, but I want to find out more information Uh, 2 I've heard of it. I'm not sure if it fits my business process and I'm not sure if I'll make or lose money uh, by switching and going this route. And I'm kind of scared of the potential of not getting those big one-off paychecks from clients. Uh, And three, I've attempted to do the managed services thing. My clients aren't biting or maybe I'm not selling it quite well enough, or maybe I'm just not sure if it's for me at this point now after trying to pitch it. And how do I go about um, making this a successful transition? And that's kind of, I think what, what we're, what we're shooting for is, is, you're in one of those three camps. You're either trying to find out more information or you're trying to figure out how to make this work for you.
0: So, yes. Um, So with that said, uh, attendees, you guys can raise your hands. Does any of you, do any of you feel like you are struggling, you're actually trying to do MSP, but you're struggling to get people to, to actually buy it. You know, maybe you feel like, your sales process isn't going the way it want, you want it to. Uh, feel free to hit the raise hand button. Okay, we got a couple people there, and so so right now, people are raising their hands if they feel like they're trying to do managed services, um, but it's just not. Working and it's you know customers aren't biting. Now, what about? um, uh, I went ahead and lowered all the hands. Answer this: Uh, Are you are you confused on managed services? You're not really sure if that is where your company direction should be. Well, this, this is promising. Nobody's raised their hand. So it seems as though everyone kind of feels like I, okay, I know I need to go towards managed services. So then I think uh, what's the other one. They, they know that they need to do this, but don't know where to begin. Johnny, you look like you want to say something.
2: Why do you think you want to be a managed services provider as opposed to a break fix?
0: Mm. Well, I, I know why I did. Why that? I like monthly recurring revenue. Okay. Um, I also like not having to do, um, I don't like having to put out fires all day, every day. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to walk into the office and, you know, see a list of things like, oh, look, look at all these potential issues that may someday cause a problem. If I fix them now, nothing will go wrong. You know, that's that's a nice feeling for me because I, I don't like working with just constant stress. And I feel like as, as a break-fix provider, that's what I was doing was just constant stress.
3: I have something to add to that. Please can also end up getting more work in. We all know projects turn up by actually knowing what they do, getting more of a rapport with the customer, and finding actually that sometimes you can help more than what you expected.
0: Oh, good. The panelists figured out how to raise their hands. I still don't know how. I don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: participants menu there ben
4: i know i know but i do have something to add though at the same time um because of the fact that i do both home and business it's actually been amazing to me on that even some home users are willing to actually have something that is consistently taking (laughs) care of their systems and that's what i've been uh, placing the value on that it's properly being taken care of versus just waiting until it breaks and then probably putting it off for another six months before you pull your hair out. Good. Uh, Todd.
5: Yeah, I think um, the big aspect from a business perspective of why I think MRR makes a lot more sense is cash flow. Cash flow is king in any business and especially. Um, in this business, you don't want variable cash flow, uh, especially if you're trying to grow your team. So, if you're a solopreneur and it's just you and maybe a couple of contractors, then you can cover the cost pretty directly. But if you want to grow your business, you need to be able to service more clients in a variable fashion. And if you go out and hire four staff, and then all of a sudden you have a really slow couple of months, and you're on the hook for paying those salary, that can be uh, that can be a, a pretty significant stress for you. So if you have MRR and you know that the MRR monthly covers your operating costs, and then everything else becomes the margin on top, that's a much, much more scalable way to build your business. And you can predictably add staff as you're adding additional clients. So, uh, and it won't get you sort of behind the eight ball if all of a sudden business slows down.
1: Yep. That's exactly it, man. <laughs> Cash flow. Cash flow is king. But um,
0: I'm just so, reading.
2: Right,
0: oh, go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead, Andy. No, no, no. I was just going to read through some of the questions. And that's exactly what I'm going to do here. Uh, so so I see Anthony asked, I recently decided to switch from breakfix to managed services, and he's worked on many things. He's He's got a contract. He's glanced at... Carl Palachuk's ebook. And if you guys guys are interested in diving into managed services, I really did enjoy Carl's book. Uh, I believe it's called Managed Services in a Month. Um, It's definitely a great place to start. Um, He came up with three-level pricing, et cetera. Uh, What Anthony has left that he wishes he could get done ASAP is currently I only do desktop PC support. I will do monitoring uh, with my RMM for all. How do I hire people to take care of on-site or remote support for stuff I cannot do? Servers, Macs, etc. What is your suggestion? So let's tackle that one first.
3: I could tackle that one. I'll start with it at least anyway. I know. I know Shiva
0: said he wanted to to tackle that one. So let's have Shiva go first, and then I'll let you follow up. No, no,
2: no James, you go ahead. Then I'll take it after. If you don't mind. Okay.
3: The one thing that I would say straight away is there are two particular websites that I would recommend looking at. One of them is Freelancer. um, And the other is Upwork. Now, both of which have technicians uh, across the board, um, across multiple different countries um, who provide that little extra work. Um, and then there is uh, another part to it um, and that's uh, there are quite a few consultants out there that are willing to in getting those processes uh, set up or in a nutshell take care of some of the server and map as you quite rightly said um, both of those I would highly recommend sort of looking at though are a lot of techies out there that know a lot of contract workers who would jump for the opportunity to work for with someone like yourself um i've just noticed in the uh, um in the chat it can be hit and miss for freelancer and for upwork i will definitely agree with that one but when you do find a couple of decent technicians they will be good for you for as long as you keep working and until you need um, need them to move on, um, there are a great resource and a great tool um, to be able to utilize in your business. Um, so that's my two cents on it.
2: And Shiva? If I took the
3: literal meaning
2: of your question, I would say you're not ready to be an MSP. You should probably go work for someone. If you're... If you can't handle the work to be done, why are you charging people for it? Go get a job, at an MSP, learn it, breathe it, eat it, bleed for it, if and when the time comes, then try opening your MSP. Because right now you're just gonna be floundering in the water not being able to do anything. That's just my two cents.
0: Um, Harsh words. However, um, there, there there is unfortunately a bit of truth in that. Only for the for the point that um, it's it's hard to take. I don't, I guess it's it's kind of hard to take someone seriously um, as a vendor. You know, if if I were hiring an IT company, and the owner doesn't know how to do what I think are basics of, you know, maintaining my server and that type of stuff. You know, I get it. It's it's a good thing to um
2: well, I think sorry if I may. You know, it's ahead. not that an owner needs to know everything, granted I don't know everything. Um but you know, if you're the owner and you don't have the technical know-how, you should have the capital to pay people to do the tech work for you, but you should at least be competent enough to run your business it seems like here you're starting from less than zero. So you're probably in a position well, where you should work for someone, get the experience, see what happens in the real world, and not rely on a book by a guy who says, hey, I ran a successful MSP. Here, buy this.
3: I disagree with you, Johnny, actually. Um, that's one of the few things I, you know, uh, I would say that, yes, we don't know everything. I could... Count down the many of different things that I didn't know um, last week and do now, um, and same for years ago. So one thing I would say is that servers are going to be a primary part to your MSP world. It is something that comes up regularly. Dive on, get Hyper V or VMware ESXi in your house, and click on server 2016 server 2012 and learn from watching a few youtube videos and stuff like that that i would say 100 if you're gonna go msp that's what you need to do you need to be trying stuff out and failing that is a primary um way of being able to sing and i'm sure todd will agree that sometimes failure actually is a good thing that you know sometimes it just happens and i'm sure everybody in the room has failed at least once
0: um, and learn something from it. And and I I wouldn't say you you should strive to fail, but there's you know, there's no shame in failing as long as you're learning something from it.
5: <clears throat> I the only element I would, yeah, mm-hmm. the only element I would add in, in failing, I am a fan of failing as long as the risk is managed. So uh, I, one of my favorite expressions is constantly falling forward, right? So even if you're falling down, you're still moving forward. Um, but, you know, you're not falling from 20 feet and injuring yourself is probably the distinction in that. Um, just to, to sort of cap on this as well is, I, I think there's some room for you to be a solopreneur and grow a TNM business if you want to structure on, uh, on an MRR model. Um, I would say the only aspects of this that you need to, to contain are what do you actually work on? So you don't go out and collect whatever clients are willing to pay you. You need to be very particular about what you take on what you actually support and look for those clients in particular, because if you're technical to begin with, then you probably know more than most people out there. Like this is the the thing that you hear from everybody when you're doing desktop support is, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't know anything about computers. And my response back in the day was always, that's fine, that's what gives us jobs, right? Uh, so you'll always know a little more than somebody. Um, I think there's, uh, I I would probably agree with Shiva that there's potential for going back and learning more and getting gaining more experience. Before you go independent, but you know you can be independent and figure out what you can work on, where your where your value lies. Just make sure you're very particular about what work you take
4: take on, and that you're actually able to service it. I have something to add to this, Steve. Uh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I've done because I know that, um, for example, I don't really do server work myself at all. I've been more on the desktop support side, and uh, due to uh, networking in my local area, I've uh, Basically, managed to get some relationships going with other IT professionals, but whether they do managed or not. Uh, so, I actually have people I can call for when those times come up where I was like, this is not my thing. And I don't really tell the client that. I say, I have someone that can help us out with this and let it go ahead and take off. I think one of the big things that people
1: confuse with managed services providing is that you are providing a full encompassing service. You're not providing just basic remote support. And I've seen a lot of guys in my area say, oh, we're providing managed services. Okay, what are you doing? We're providing antivirus and Bomgar. But that's not managing anything. That's just providing an antivirus solution and remote support. How much are you charging for this? $50 a month. What? <laughs> You know, a managed services should be, okay, you are making use of a tool, your RMM platform, to collect all of the event logs, to collect the data that this computer is generating over the course of its lifetime, saying what is going on with this computer on a day-to-day basis? Why are these services stopping? Why is this going on? Are the backups being performed? Is the antivirus actually doing its job? Um, and a lot of times... People that want to switch from a break fixed model to a managed provi- managed services model don't grasp the, the actual full comprehension of what it is to actually be a managed provider, um, and so they they short the actual, I guess, designation of managed into more like remote support, which then cheapens the entire business model and it cheapens your model, and so you end up with issues where well. One of my previous clients, well, we had a managed services provider. They were only charging us forty-five dollars a month. And we didn't like them, so we did some break stuff, fix, break, fix stuff with you for a little bit. And now you're offering us this managed services thing that's hundred and twenty-five dollars a user a month. That doesn't make any
0: sense. And it's I'll I'll it's, say this, Andy. That yeah. Um I I ran I actually ran into a company that uh I said, Hey, I you know, happy to be your IT guy if you're not happy with the one you got. And they had nothing but great things to say about their IT guy. Uh he was there in sweatpants and flip flops. Yep. No joke. No joke. It was January guys in Ohio. <laughs> this man is wearing flip-flops to his customer in Ohio in January. Right. So so and sweatpants. Like jeans okay jeans i'm cool with jeans um (laughs) (laughs) it may have been (laughs) um so so uh so then so then i um i say hey you know what rmm tool are you using so oh yeah i got log me in yeah uh what no that's that's your remote access what RMM tool are you using? Well, I got, I got log me in. It, it does everything I need to do. And I said, okay. So, if if you need to make a change across, you know, all twenty six of the computers here at this office, can you just push a button and log me in, and it just happens? He's like, well, no. I just remotely connect to each one of them and and do that. And I said, so, okay. So they're they're paying you to to do that work then, right? He's like, yeah, you know, I, I get paid my my standard hourly rate, and I said, okay, standard hourly rate. When are you doing this work? Well, they I do it after hours because because I don't want to take their systems down or or anything like that. Like, okay, so you realize this is something that could be scripted in PowerShell, right? He's like, what's that? And like this conversation, it just it just made me cringe more and more as as I asked these questions. So I said to him. Okay. So here's what I do. I have this tool I use, and and this isn't, this isn't uh, my tools better than yours. Okay, guys, I want to, I want to preface that and get that over with. I don't care if you're using, I'm not even going to say it. I don't care. Okay. So uh, I said, here's what I use. I use Kaseya. I've got the ability to, uh, you know, use all these different PowerShell commands, turn it into a script and then push that out to, you know, dozens, hundreds, thousands of endpoints all at once. And, uh, and, and it, it fixes the issue. I'm, I'm not remotely controlling the endpoint for the for the end user. And for this specific issue, I don't even need to like reboot or take anything down. Like it's just fixed. And he's like, wow, you can do all that. That sounds hard. I'm like, dude, you're just changing the time zone, man. (laughs) Like like he's expecting like 800 lines of code to do all this. I'm like, dude, it's like two PowerShell commands or what, you know, whatever. I mean, it it wasn't changing the time zone. I don't want to say what it was because then it would be uh, very revealing who it was, but um it was something mundane, okay. Uh, so, so I just want you guys to keep in mind, like, if if you if you want to do managed services, my recommendation is you got to do them right, okay. And that does mean investing in some products for you to be able to do your job efficiently, but that investment is going to pay off because yeah, you know, it's going to suck. You're going to spend like 500,000, whatever a month on some tools. And right now you don't have any clients to to justify that expense because you're all break-fix. But if you start, you know, onboarding one or two of your break-fix clients, you know, even if you give them an introductory rate, say, hey, look, um, you're going to be my first client on my new system. Uh, There may be some kinks to work out, Uh, you know, however you want to pitch this. And, and Todd, you might have a, a different methodology. I'll, I'll, I'll let you tell me everything I'm saying wrong in just a minute. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, p- pitch it to some clients. You know, give them a, a lower price since you don't know what you're doing, right? You're, you know, there's going to be that learning curve. But once you get it figured out, heck, grandfather them into that lower price because they just saved your bacon, right? Because now you can go at new clients and be – the price that you think you should be, the price you think you deserve, right? Not that lower price that you gave to the one or two guys that you onboarded first. Um, but you gotta set the RMM tool up right. I mean, just having one doesn't do anything for you. You actually have to set up all the monitors, all the automated remediation, um, all the automated things like, uh, perfect example, LabTech. Uh, one, two, three of you guys, I believe are ConnectWise customers. LabTech Tech can uh, automatically uh, create the ticket in ConnectWise, add the time um, based on however you scripted it to do so, uh, close the ticket, and now it's showing actual value to your end users, to your, to, your com- to your clients, where they're able to see, oh, look, he did seven hours of remediation this month. Great. I don't mind giving him that $3,000 check.
3: What I'd also say is, well, it's not just about the tools. And I think um, everyone would agree with me on this one. It's not just about um, what you have. It's how you present it. It's how you use your documentation, how you uh, deliver it to the customer, even when picking up the phone, for example, and um, giving them the best service. If you provide uh, ticketing support, go unlimited. I know that sounds completely insane, but trust me, the idea being that the customer can then send a ticket in for free they're not having to worry about the fact that they send in a thousand tickets a month they can do that and they can do that well um and i mean i'm seeing obviously a lot of questions and one of them being um uh the what you charge um for home msp and your business msp and the state that you're in um ben actually you could probably add some to this table as well but yes For me, I do consultancy work. So I did things very differently beforehand. Um, When I was moving to MSP, it was a whole different ball game, massively different. And I actually was afraid in some cases of what I'd have to do. But the one thing that I learned very quickly was my documentation was my lifeline. And I've made mistakes with my documentation that I've had to learn from. And I've taken quite a big chunk out of my uh, sort of profits because of my documentation not being great so I learned that very quickly is that if you ever do decide to go um MSP get a get a solicitor get a lawyer and get your documentation 100% bulletproof because you will need that you will fall onto it quickly but Ben, yeah um
4: yeah, I can chime in on the home stuff. I, I did answer one part uh, already um, just because it was interesting. But um, to clarify, I work with uh, homes and home-based businesses as well. I'm in New Hampshire, and they are a bit on the penny-pinching side, but I have some that are paying um, as little as $10 a month, and because I'm on the uh, sale with uh, – actually, the same way with Steve got on. Um, I was able to basically make so that way I can – Uh, not charge too, too much, still make some money. But if they call for support, there's still a charge for that. Um, It's not all included. Most places that are small like that don't generally want to pay for that. Um, So I'm already there. I'm already making some money from them. And when they take up my time, I get more money. Uh, So it does work out. Um, And sometimes on the small business side, they can also be a little bit on the penny-pinching side. But yeah, homes, surprisingly, do go for it. I have a number of senior citizens that are uh, paying up to $25 a month, depending on what they wanted and whatever sales were running at the time. I just grandfathered them in. And uh, on the contrary to some that find that they get called a lot, I almost never hear from most of my clients. It just works. I just check in with them occasionally and they're like, yeah, things are fine. So it works.
3: Yeah, I I'll got uh, it. Sorry, I was going to say I'd have the same thing. So, but anyway, Todd,
5: um, I'll throw some thoughts in here just around the the distinction between T and and the the agreement based uh, clients. Uh, I'll do a quick share here on this picture. Uh, is that working? Okay. So this to me kind of highlights what, what the definition of what we're talking about is, do you have an agreement? Yes or no. This largely defines whether or not you have a client or a customer. A customer is transactional. They pay you for services. A client has a relationship that is high value, right? Do not compete on price. If you're doing agreements, it is, it is a, a, a race to the bottom and it's not the, end of the industry that you're in. If you're servicing clients on a transactional basis, you can compete a bit more on price because the, va- the value of your time is all that you're offset on. The risk is, is that you have a ceiling on how much money you can make, and that's number of hours that you can provide service, right? This is, this is the beauty of moving to an agreement, is that the t and work is incentivized for things to be broken so that you can do work. Right. This is what you explain to the client is that guy is willing to pay on a, an hourly basis because the more issues that they have, the, the more service that they get, more money that they make. Okay? Uh, an agreement based contract incentivizes that you actually fix their infrastructure because the less noise that comes from the environment is better for you. It's more profitable. The second uh, trick becomes what do you do with that additional time if you've re- eliminated the noise? Then you actually start to focus on the high-value stuff, the business consulting, um, tech roadmap, development of the, the, what they're actually utilizing technology for in their infrastructure. That's where you start to become more of a business solution provider providing a lot more high value. You have to get out of the technical space, especially in the SMB, um, unless you're dealing with an IT manager as your, as your point of contact within a client, they do not care and they do not understand technology. If you try to talk tech to them and explain to them why your stack is better than the other guy down the street, you're going to confuse them and they won't listen because you it makes them feel stupid, right? No one wants to feel like they don't know what you're talking about in a, in a conversation. Uh, so you know, get out of the technical uh, talk. Uh, talk about the value that you're going to provide to them on an ongoing agreement basis. And that's how you can win a client from a customer.
1: Oh yeah.
3: Agreed. 100%. Hmm. Okay. In fact, I, love that document.
2: I think what Todd just said would apply to Anthony, uh, Anthony's question in the Q and A, the cheap clients uh, get cheap out of your vocabulary. If that's what they want you're not the person for them if you're an msp yep we'll stick
5: with the yeah, agreed the other part i was going to add thanks for that Shiva. the um, agreement uh, agreements are tough to do for under hundred dollars per endpoint right regardless of how you define it but you'll see in certain markets there's guys that are um, i think uh, andy alluded to this guys that are pitching 50 bucks per endpoint and sometimes lower Uh, I've seen 75 as average for kind of the smaller clients under 10 seats. That can be a bit of a problem. But if you're doing true managed services, it's really difficult to do well for under 100. Uh, And that's what you can maybe start to expose if people want to fight with you on price. Uh, But don't chase it. If a person is not interested in paying the value that you provide, it's up to you to define that value and make sure that you're selling on that so that the person understands it. But if they're only looking for the cheapest solution, they're not going to be a good client, they might be an okay customer, but they're not a good client.
3: Yeah, I was going to um, add a little bit to that. And actually, it was a question. Um, and one of it was, uh, what are your thoughts on those clients who are apprehensive or timid on MSP and want to go with ad hoc support? Well, actually, I know somebody in particular who, um, who had a call and um, they, their client was adamant that they wanted to go um, break, fix, ad hoc, however you want to call it. By the end of the call, they were MSP. Um, and obviously I won't reference the sort of thing but it was fantastic and just listening to how it was done it it proved that the value alone the customer was adamant that they didn't want to do that but then walking away knowing that they wanted to be MSP was the right thing for them and right thing for their business so in all honesty it doesn't matter how adamant they are wanting to not be an MSP customer Trust me, there is always a way to sell it. The other part of the question was, uh, obviously, what do you suggest in this situation? In all honesty, find that point, whether it's um, something that they need, something that they want. Their staff might actually be saying that they're not getting their tickets answered that quickly. Give them something that you know is like uh, the pot of gold the lottery ticket that wins every time those sort of things will definitely help you out um but at the same time make sure that you keep yourself within a budget keep yourself in mind that you've got to make money as well um so doing your research will help you tremendously in this um i I don't know if that quite answers all of your question um the whole idea of prepaid support i think johnny would answer that better um
2: uh, my version of uh break fix was sell. they pay a retainer we do work we bill off the retainer when there's x percentage of the retainer left we bill for more money and that's just how it goes uh you know what i build an hour was irrelevant but Anything you do is processes and procedures. Um, I am not one of those people that thinks MSP makes you any more or less money than break fix. I think it smooths out the income curve and it becomes budgetable finance. Um, but yeah, just have your processes and procedures in place for whatever you want to do. <clears throat> you should do well,
0: Hey, uh, real quick, um, for everyone that's here watching on Zoom, I have a poll that I just put out, uh, less than half of you have answered. Um, I think if you answer, we'll be able to better tailor our, our answers to you guys. Um, just because we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, who, who our audience actually is. And I see like, for example, uh, 60% of the people that have answered do define managed services as having an RMM, a PSA, a security stack, office 365, spam filtering backup so there's tons of value there um and i didn't even get into the uh you know is is it all you can need is it 24 7 projects inc- like you know that that stuff um i i didn't even want to go there but i i feel like the the fact that you guys are answering these and we're, we're, we're going to start getting some better insights as to who our audience
2: is right now. If I can answer uh, Dom's question here. Uh, I know it's directed to Ben, but I think you're looking at it incorrectly. There's no such thing as a freebie. It's either included in your agreement or not.
0: I, th- I think what Dom is asking is, is for break fix.
2: Oh, I thought this was the uh, break fix MSP chat. Never mind.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I, I don't I don't know. So, if if it's if it's them asking, do you charge for break fix? In my opinion, if if I have to answer you, it's billable. Um, if if it's a question that is part of managed services, I think it's also difficult. So Dom is really focused on residential MSP. And I think Ben is probably going to be the only one here that's able to answer those types of questions. Cause I don't want to touch residential with a 10 foot pole.
2: Yeah.
1: Kind of agree on that one.
2: I don't want to touch residential with your 10 foot
3: pole.
4: Exactly. (laughs) Wow. Um, Um,
3: uh, (laughs) Sorry, go
4: on. uh, I was about to say since it was directed at me anyway, and I took a bit to find the question. Um, do I charge for every single call? Most of the time, yes, unless it takes me literally a minute and a half, and then I'm, I don't care. But or just like a quick email with a quick, you know, sentence, and I'm done. That's fine. But beyond that, twenty five dollar minimum. Oh, um, I'm gonna try and say your
1: last name, man. Anthony Santacarateria Tarina.
0: Tarina got- Santac Santa Catarina, Santa Catarina, Santa Catarina. I got Santa it. Santa
1: Caterina. Close enough, right? <laughs> um, how large are most of your teams? What is your endpoint size? Uh, was there a particular growth rate you found or was it based upon the clients you picked up and then realized you needed additional help? Uh, for me, I'm a single man person. I'm a one man wrecking ball. Uh, currently I support about 300 desktops across uh, eight companies. I have gotten rid of three clients that I previously dealt with because they would not convert to a managed services uh, platform effectively. They just didn't, they didn't feel that it was worth their money. So I got rid of them. Um, It was a particular growth rate I found not necessarily a growth rate. Um, It's primarily most of the clients I found were actually all of my clients were previous break fix. Um, Except for one, except for one. (laughs) Uh, They were all previous break-fix, meaning I did not have a remote anything in place. I would go to their site. I would do work. I would fill them every month uh, based on their work. They were continuous clients, (laughs) but they were not, um, there was no, I don't know how you put it, there was no agreement in place, meaning they, they didn't sign any papers saying they would pay me, you know, this time or this much every hour. It was just a verbal agreement and that was it. Um, and effectively, which I I think is what we're going to end up getting to here is what were the processes involved in getting and converting that person to a managed services platform, I guess is the best way of saying it. You know, what, what did I have to set up on my end to get to where I felt that I could automate the hell out of everything? And I think that is the true key and goal of any managed services provider is to automate, automate, automate. Um, you should be able to see things coming up, say, and, and for your your platform to say, hey, there is a problem here. Okay, let's try and run some things first before we ever notify me, the head guy, um, and say there's, there's issues here. Um, so there's – I'd say growth rate – my growth rate <laughs> – it's kind of hard to answer that one because it's, it's matter of one. I changed, I pivoted my business away from break fix. I said, I am not going out to people's houses anymore. I'm not going to people's businesses anymore. Um, and if I am, I am charging an arm and a leg to do so. I'm not charging the cheap best buy rate, you know, for a a geek squad guy to come out there. I'm charging $175 an hour. If I have to go anywhere on site that is not on a managed contract. I, I want to disincentivize uh, break-fix clients from calling me on a regular basis. I want them on my managed platform. I want them to have my firewalls. I want them to have my switches. And I want to have everything at their site as, as I don't know, basically I want, I want complete continuity across all my clients. I want the same process. I want the same procedures across all of them. Even though it's going to be tailored for them, because you have to tailor it for them just get get over the fact you personally have to get over the fact that you're selling something that's going to be custom tailored to them even though it's not going to be 100% custom it's 95% of what you sell them is going to be your standard platform your standardization so (laughs) So yes Cliff I I love when Geek Squad goes somewhere (laughs) because we end up with more billable work
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I see uh Todd's got his hand raised.
1: Yeah.
0: And he was actually bouncing on his seat earlier. He was like the <laughs> he was like the nerd in classic. Ooh. <laughs> no, I <don't> think so. <laughs> <laughs> um,
5: yeah, just around um the, the standardization, uh, Andy makes a really good point about standardization is going to be your superpower as an MSP. It makes it a hell of a lot easier to manage uh, and to make the turnaround time on a ticket lower. So um, on average, like you want to aim towards like 1 to 1.5 hours per ticket. Um, and that will indicate that you have a good level of standardization and that par- probably it's documented as well so that uh, someone can kind of pick up a ticket They know the system. They don't have to figure out what type of firewall it is and where those settings are. All of those things have uh, have to be figured out on the fly. So standardization is huge. And just as an example, like to give you guys some context in this, um, like size of teams and revenue they can hold. I have a good friend of mine that they built a, uh, a three person. It was two up until they hit about a million dollars um, in uh, recurrent revenue. And it's uh, that is a, a big number to hold under two people, essentially. So it's very scalable. If you're picky about how you do it, if you want to be less picky and pick up more clients, you just have to recognize the l- lack of standardization is going to require more effort, right? So you know, a lot of this is a decision of what kind of business do you want to build? Like you can build a solopreneur or you and a couple of other contractors and be very pro- uh, profitable doing the work that you do in the hours that you commit. Or you can build a stack of clients that value the service that you, that you provide. Uh, they, they feel like you're the guy that can do absolutely everything for their business and they don't question the bills Um, and it's a, it's really a definition of what road you want to take and therefore how you set out the business as a, as, as a, an after the fact, right? So be really conscious about what you're actually trying to build your business to look
1: like. And, um, following up there, Jason and then Dom, uh, at what point was I able to pivot away from break fix? Um, effectively I focused hard on my larger clients. We're talking roughly 30 users each uh, between my, my first two that I converted. Um, And yes, for them, it was a, I won't say it was a drastic price increase, but it was a a roughly a 30% price increase per month. Now with that, and this kind of ties in with Dom is I provide my network hardware as a service. So Yes, there are legacy clients. All new clients going forward are going to effectively get the higher rate. They're not getting the old, you know, okay, you've been kind of drafted in. Uh, But effectively, my older clients, they they do have a reduced monthly rate per user, but it is not that far off from what I'm currently charging for new clients. So once I got my first two, that secured – one, that, that helped me secure the the funds that I needed and the stability that I needed to go out and purchase all, the, all that stuff. Um, it also gave me the leeway and the time to build out my platform. And it gave me, one, the money availability to build out my platform the way that I wanted it. I waited another six months before I went out and sold managed services again. And the reason for that is is because I did not want to deal with... Um, a, a platform that was, yes, I had worked on it. And yes. I had developed it, but it was not complete. It was not whole and it was not sound and it was not easily scalable. And once you, once you get your platform to a point where it can be easily scaled, you can add on a client and everything, all your stuff gets installed all at once, all the fun things happen. Then yeah, it's very, once that occurs, then it's just, a, it's very, very easy to, to, um, uh, add on new clients and actually build properly for. And so for them, my two initial clients, they were not at my full rate because yes, they understood, you know, for the first year we're going to be somewhat guinea pigs. And I spoke with them. I was open with them about that. I was not, you know, I want to pivot my business. I want to provide you better services, but in order to do so, this is what's going to have to happen. Um, And they were okay with that. So it takes a little bit, and you have to have some good trust, and you have, and that, and you, the companies you work with have to trust you, uh, which I hope that—that's kind of part of being a computer IT guy—is is trust. So, um, and Dom, do you lease uh, network as a service, or a cost is up front because of the initial cost of switching to MSP plus network as a service could be a slight turnoff even for much larger comps. Um, you could do that. Uh, you could work with somebody. Yep. As Johnny's saying, everything as a service and effectively I built in that price into my per user cost. So I, they don't see it as a separate cost. And what that means is this, yeah, everything as a service. (laughs) So when you build it in to everything, you know, everything is built into that one user cost. Okay. Well that breaks it down quite a bit easier your first month, okay, you may lose a little bit, but your next month, you're you're making money. And that's the way, you know, it, you, cash flow. As Todd was saying, it's all about cash flow. You know, okay, you may lose money the first two months because you just bought $10,000 worth of hardware. But month three through eight, 10, 20, 36 months out should all be profitable. So... That's the way I look at it. I don't know if any of these other guys do that, but.
3: <laughs> I'd actually like to add on that. And actually it's on a question as well. And uh, this was from Ryan. And it says, the problem is that I don't want to take on an MSP client unless they agree to an IT infrastructure upgrade. that I'd be willing to support. The idea here is an upgrade over time and then convert to MSP. Right off the bat, I'd say no. <laughs> do not take them on and upgrade them and then move them to MSP because I can tell you right now, they will not sign the contract. They'll then go in somewhere else if they don't like you and you spend all that time and effort getting them all set up for them to then walk away. Do it as a project. Do it as the fact that you can show them the reasons why they need an upgrade. If you're just going in there and saying, you need an upgrade because I don't like your equipment, that's not going to work. If you say to them, hey, this is the infrastructure we've got because you get better security, your Wi-Fi is improved massively, or just generally speaking, that they are more profitable because the equipment is better, um, that will make the massive differences. Things like firewalls are easy sells if you know how to do it. It's not about fear mongering. It's more on the fact of preventing stuff that can occur. And I'm sure Andy will agree with me on that one, because we've spoken about firewalls more than one occasion (laughs) about how much we love them because it saves so much time and hassle in the long run. Um, So that and um, uh, virtualization.
1: (laughs) Virtualize everything. Uh, But one of the other things is you don't want to take an MSP client unless they agree to an IT infrastructure upgrade go and look at their switches. A lot of times, not so much the net gears and things like that, but a lot of times the higher end hardware will actually have manufacturing dates on them. It's a very easy sell when you say your switch is eight years old. We probably want to replace it before it causes a massive outage. And that's, and that is a very easy, easy sell. And then you can go on, well, okay, but your switch isn't managed. Okay. Do we want to separate out these things. You know, do we want to separate the administration network from the from the end users? Do you want to separate out the you know the accounting teams and their computers from the from the regular sales teams? Um you could get as crazy as you wanted to with it, but effectively go and look at the hardware. You know, if does it look old? Is there dust collected on it through you know it's six inches deep? That's
2: <laughs>
1: you know there there's a lot of things there. It's it's very easy to sell them if, if the hardware looks old. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but
3: <laughs> a physical peak can go a long way. Uh, do you know what I agree with Andy on that one is that generally speaking, you know whether or not it's well looked after by just the general condition of it and, and how old it is. Um, so really it shouldn't be an easy sell. So the idea being that you don't want to take on because of IT infrastructure. I know a lot of people who have signed MSP contracts and wish they hadn't, um, because of the amount of stuff that they have to then go and do to get everything up to a decent standard. Things like with a server 2003 still being in businesses that are still functioning as normal. That stuff, even Microsoft stopped supporting years ago. So when you're having to say, oh, well, look, you know, these are old, we need to start upgrading, uh, that's because you care enough to say we want to get this stuff up to a good standard. If you didn't care, you would walk straight in and say, yeah, fine, we'll support it at this, but it's going to cost you a whole a hell of a lot extra. Um, so generally speaking, you should be fine in going in and doing it as a project or doing it as part of your onboarding. Now onboarding, obviously, like I say most MSPs do have an onboarding schedule. I'm sure Todd would have a lot to say about proper onboarding and the best practices for it. But I say the same thing always treat it as a consultancy, not as a sale. Treat it so that you're walking in there and saying, right, what is the best solution for the company? Then you build them afterwards. (laughs) You know, you build them because it's a, it's a cost point of view, but you're providing them the best service. Look at it as right. We're putting in decent SOFOS UTMs or, we're putting in um, nice equipment that will last and stand the test of time. Uh, I mean, Todd, have you got anything to add to that?
5: Yeah, typically um, onboarding should be a billable engagement um, this tends to only work for larger environments where there's a bit more budget to play with. So it's maybe not applicable to the larger audience here, but I'll, I'll just sort of give you a perspective. The, the, uh, the more mature environments uh, providers, you're going to be either billing 30 days uh, in advance well for onboarding. So the previous provider, if they have one, is still doing support and you're already billing them doing an onboarding. Um, that can often be used as uh, a negotiation point in the sale. So either you're pa- they're paying for onboarding or they're paying for an assessment, right? So um, uh, uh, larger, more mature providers, you pay for both an assessment of the environment uh, and you also pay for onboarding. So just to give you a sense of what this looks like further down the road. Um, but for the, the smaller providers, I would l- at least suggest use one or the other. Um, you if you can get them to commit to doing certain projects after they 've done an assessment, then you can bring them on and roll those projects through like basically that they commit to doing x, y and z but within the first three months that can sometimes work, but all of it is based on the risk and I think you guys nailed it that a good tech can walk into their server closet and if it's if it 's just a jungle in there and every uh, you know the, there's there's water dripping on on some racks and uh, there's cables everywhere and, you know, there's uh, panels ripped out of an old white box server, then yeah, there's, there's a lot of work to do. You don't want to take that on and, and try to fix it because uh, you're going to be on the hook for for doing that yourself, right? So,
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, generally speaking, I've been into a few server cabinets that I wished i never stepped foot in and ran as quickly as I could. But unfortunately, that's just the way the world works. The other question I have, which actually would be quite fitting as well to add on to this, is the reason we are converting to MSP is to ultimately be more profitable. How Johnny um, just suggested that break-fix and MSP are the same financially. Does everybody agree with this? And have you found MSP to be more profitable than break-fix? I can comfortably turn around and say, MSP is definitely more profitable than break-fix. Right? I, I, think, <laughs> uh, I think... I think...
0: I will I will just say this. I think Johnny is like the exception to the rule when it <laughs> comes to break-fix being profitable because so, I think he charges something ridiculous like 300 an hour to these companies.
2: So here's the interesting thing, right? If we're talking about profitability, we're talking about margins. So if you're a bottom-of-the-barrel guy charging $35 an hour... It doesn't matter what you do. You're going out of business. If you price yourself well in relation to what your expenditure is, then profitability is profitability.
4: To this allow- is also to look at, too. Uh, when it comes to the break-fix world, uh, no matter what you're really charging, look at what the costs are to, say, if you're doing on-site work, getting to the client, maintenance in the car, truck, whatever you're using, um, just all the costs involved with, uh, with trying to fix break, fix on top of the labor costs that you're charging the client. And I can tell you that, uh, part-wise, depending on what the parts are, there's not much of a markup there because no one would actually go, so let go over to Best Buy and grab a part or whatever. Um, so having on managed, um, that monthly recurring revenue, since the costs are reasonable enough, it works out much better.
2: So... No here's something that I think maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves is we should probably address the conversion from a break, fix shop to a managed, correct?
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, that is kind of what this is all about.
2: I would hope so. Um, And one thing I'd like to say is how many of you have actually planned for that transition? How many, not on the panel here, but whoever's listening, do you guys have a, do you have processes and procedures for your onboarding or is it a, let's just see what we can do when the time comes? Have you processed that out?
0: Raise, raise your hands, uh, attendees. Do you have processes and procedures written out? Yes, I, I raise my hand because I have this stuff already written out.
2: And how detailed is it? Because I'd like to share something with you, if you guys don't mind.
4: Um, Go for it. We we
0: got up to ten, but now we're just down to six.
2: So <laughs> this, is, this is my basic uh, project plan and Connectwise for when we onboard a client. <laughs> and this is for a non-complicated client. As you can tell, what are we budgeting here? 184 hours.
0: It's a lot of hours. I mean, Mm -hmm.
2: realistically, we bang that out at 60, give or take, for the average client who's not running Server 2003. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of the foundational elements you need in going from break-fix to manage is A, Mm -hmm. the right tools, and really get your processes and procedures down. And more so really figure out what your costing is and decide on your margin. If you don't do any of those, it doesn't matter what books you read, who you listen to, whether you want to listen to myself, Andy, Todd, James, Ben, Steve, or anyone on this panel, you really need to reflect inward and decide if you're ready for the MSP jump.
0: Yes. So I've I've got uh, something I want to say on that. And then, uh, there's actually a question on YouTube I'd like for us to, to look at. And it looks like Todd has a, a response to that as well. Um, okay. So uh, in regard to having, you know, procedures. Okay. So so we're, I think we're holding firm at six. Six people have, out of the 40 attending, six people have processes and procedures in place for things like onboarding. Um, so, my recommendation is find yourself some onboarding procedures um, if if you if you don't know where to look, uh, I'll give you a hint uh, as as a as a member of MSP webinars, I give you a uh, an onboarding procedure document. Um, I also give you a document for uh, doing the office migration, which is part of the onboarding procedure. I also give you documentation for other things and uh, how to how to do things in Kaseya and Autotask and that type of stuff. So, if if you're looking for some starter documents, it's there. Um, uh, there's a there's a gentleman named Ernest. Um, Ernest's documents are definitely much more involved um he's got like a i think it's like a 90 day or a six month onboarding mine is like the the one week special okay we want to get you in there and get you out of there as quickly as possible because what was that
2: Fast and (laughs) what never
0: mind (laughs) so um so so yeah uh you know, there's 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 big differences in, in the uh, in the documents. So, if if you'd like to get a little preview of Ernest's document, I'm sure he would be happy to, uh, you know, show you kind of a little preview. Actually, a good preview. Um, look at the uh, the very first webinar that I have on YouTube: Processes and Procedures. Ernest is one of the panelists, and he shows us like a couple pages of that document. So if you want to see what that document looks like, go, go look at, go look at that. If I um, may? Yes.
2: Sorry. Anthony, you have a question here in Q and a never bundle. If you're delivering dial tone, never bundle it with your managed offering because you're going to run into a lot of taxation issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, short of that, I would say put everything in.
0: Yep. Per, per user. Is how I do it, and I believe that's how many MSPs are starting to do it. Uh, but you can also do per device, per user, plus per device, um, or you could just give them a flat. Here's what I'm charging your company, and and think of it more like a salary. Uh, that one is not as common, uh, but it it has been done.
3: I yes uh, just
0: on yes, John, Johnard. That is a fun one. I've never seen that one before. I like that. It's like Edward and John all in one. Uh, Johnard. Yes, he still sells the onboarding documents. Uh, He had a little snafu. Um, I won't go into his personal life, but he had to do some restructuring with his business. Um, Everything is fine on Ernest's front. His documentation, he's actually releasing version two here real soon. And he's got, what is it? The MSP network that he's, that he's looking to launch here soon. So he's, he's got some fun things he's, he's working on as well. Now, um, real quick, I want to, I want to answer a question I saw on YouTube. Um, So, so we, we were talking at one point about how to configure your RMM tool and and I, I think, well, we're going to skip the the how to configure your, your RMM tool, but we are going to talk about the business process of it. Uh, can I legitimately maintain a quality level of service with 200 or 500 endpoints for a single tech? And I think that Johnny and Andy can both answer this one. I know, Johnny, you have... I don't know how many hundreds. Uh, Andy, you have three hundred, and you're a, you're one dude. Um, and and I think the answer is without a shadow of a doubt. If you are configuring your RMM tool so that way it is doing a lot of the heavy lifting for you, then yes, you can you can manage as as many endpoints as you want. Andy, do you have anything to add on that?
1: I mean, basically, your your RMM tool is there to parse the copious amount of information that is generated on these machines. And it is there to whittle down the things that actually matter. Now, you have to decide what things you actually care about um, and what things you feel should be automated. And so, like, okay, if the... I don't, I don't know, for example, some Windows service stops running. Well, does that mean that you yourself have to go touch that and make it start again? No, That that's that's doing RMM the wrong way. You have to automate that. You should have processes in your management tool to say, oh, this service stopped. Let's start it back up again. And then if it continues to fail, then I need to be notified about it. Um. There is there is no reason for you to manually touch a lot of things, um, and it sounds weird, but you have you you purchase and you build out these tools so that you don't have to do anything as much as possible, because that is where you're making your money as a MSP. You are investing the time and you're investing the effort into programming and automating processes and, and maintenance items so if you can if you can automate the maintenance of the computers if you can automate the remediation of very common items then that is something you need to do um and that's that's where you make your money i mean that realistically that's where you make your money um from a from a monthly perspective on the arm on the msp side
3: so just to add to that, and just to add to um, something, I do a lot of consultancy work, um, and one of the few things that I see is that when I when I get into RMMs, um, they're either configured but no, don't go far enough, or they're just badly configured. Um, there are a couple out there that I have dealt with, but uh, in particular, it all comes down to patching. And I sort of look at them and go, well, why aren't you um, creating a prompt to the users to keep their machines on on Patch Tuesday, run through all of your businesses, and you could be done and uh, just the little odds and ends that come across um, at the end of the week. And like, oh, well, you know, I don't know how to do that. And I say to them, well, there are plenty of people out there who do offer support, advice, help. Some of are techies themselves, and others that are MSP owners that are more than willing to help. Um, And I always sort of say it out there that um, that a lot of us, we don't bite. (laughs) Um, uh, We do um, uh, like to help, certainly on the consultancy point of view. So I speak mainly for myself on this one. Um, But I was able to help one customer get their 250 endpoints all have patches down to 23 in three days. So you know, if it's configured right, it can work really well. <laughs> if I could... sorry, go ahead,
2: Todd. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to answer Mark, but I'll go after you.
5: Uh, I just wanted to touch on. Um, we, we said uh, the, the the topic of the the webinar is converting. Some of those those clients to mrr so i wanted to quickly just detail like wh- how you go about doing this there's been some resources that have been suggested but uh let's just r- hit this really quick um first off is you need to understand your cogs cost of goods sold so how much does it actually cost you to run your business and how much would it cost to support a client this is how you define what you're actually going to charge that's why that $100 mark kind of makes sense because you're going to include things like PSA, RMM, AV, some other type of security. Um, and then beyond that, there's some variables that you can put in there and increase the all-in C price. So whatever you're paying for that endpoint, uh, by user usually. Okay, so figure out your cogs and there's some spreadsheets. Uh, I think Steve's MSP webinar stuff has some of those the links to that stuff where you can kind of noodle around with these spreadsheets and figure out what your costs are and what you should be charging. So figure that out first, then test it with a couple of the clients that you have assume that the clients that you have are new clients that you're going to be selling. So, run them through this calculator, figure out how much you're going to be charging them on a monthly basis, compare that to what they've been paying on average over the past, say, four to six months, right? If it starts to, if it looks like it's the same uh, and 20%, you're probably in the right category. Now, there's a couple of qualifiers to this that uh, agreements under $1,000, you may not want to chase after. Uh, certainly in the early term, they're going to be tougher to convert. Um, and the 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 cost to support those contracts tends to get quickly underwater. So if you get swamped by a major crypto event or something like that, then you can kind of kiss the profits goodbye for a couple of months. So be cautious on any agreements that register under a thousand dollars. Uh, and then uh, I think Andy mentioned this. His approach was perfect. Take kind of your top clients, uh, a couple of that you're, you feel safe with, book some meetings and walk them through the conversion to MSP. So you're, you're talking about the value that you're selling to them in an ongoing engagement versus TNM, explain to them why the cost is different, explain to them the additional services that you're gonna do and paint the future for them, right? Don't talk about what we did, what we're doing, talk about what this service looks like going forward. So paint that vision for them. You'll usually find that they're not going to say yes right away. If you're lucky, you'll find a couple that are like, good, this sounds awesome. I like you. Let's go forward. Uh, That's a win. But your typical sales cycle in uh, MSP contracts is going to be two to three months. And that's how long it's going to take you to kind of have these conversations until probably one lands. So don't get discouraged if everything doesn't go roses after two weeks um, and build up a list so you have to call the contracts or all the clients that you deal with and how you're actually going to engage them start basically a uh, hundred mile march on lining those conversations up having the conversation uh, get better more comfortable with how you're actually pitching this so that each time you go to talk to the next person you're a little more comfortable in translating the value to them and it, uh, you just keep going down this list and talking to them by the second or third time that you talk to them about them uh, about it, you'll probably start getting some conversions qualifier. Uh, you should assume that at least 20% of your clients, you'll have to let go, right? Uh, if you're going to convert, there's going to be some people that just don't see the value. It's not for them. They want to continue to pay TNM and that's okay because uh, as you start to go out to market and sell to bring on new clients that fit better under the MSP model, that's the offset for you, right? So just really quickly, that's that's my thought on how you actually go and approach this. Figure out your cogs, structure your costs, figure out your contracts for the current clients, set them on a list and start booking meetings and having that conversation so that you get comfortable with it and eventually you'll start to convert some.
2: Yep. I agree, except I like a uh, two to three week sales cycle, but I'm greedy.
5: That's ideal. <laughs> I
2: I think the more you vet your stack and understand its benefits, it's attainable. Um, But to get to Mark, to answer your question, uh, I do a 10-user minimum because I figured 10 users gives me enough margin in the first month to cover the cost of whatever the onboarding is. And I make Active Directory mandatory. ConnectWise has something called user-centric, which will tell me how many users are in there. And that's how they get billed. I do not care if they are part-time because I can't shut off their Office 365 account because they're not there the entire time. It has to stay on. So they get billed as a full-time user. If they're too small to have an Active Directory, put one in as a service. That should, you know, with what you're charging per user with a 10 minimum, that should be able to cover it anyway. Use SPLA licensing. What is it, 8 or $9 for a pair of uh, cores, and you'll be fine. Um, and as far as Anthony goes, uh, what helps to determine what to do when errors in your RMM come up? Experience, man. This is what we spoke about earlier on in the beginning. If you don't know what to do, you need to go back and learn. That's all I got.
4: We'll jump in here for a brief second. We're on the whole conversion process itself. Um, Some may not go for it right away. They might actually be very skeptical about it. And what I would recommend doing is just uh, through when they call you again for a possible break, fix work, uh, show them if you can, depending on what's going on, uh, the value and what things may have been prevented depending on the problem. Uh, I've had a few that jump on board with, the managed stuff after something goes wrong and see, Oh, I might've been able to prevent that because their antivirus ran out or something. So it might be something stupid like that, but it can work. Just keep on trying and keep on presenting the value. See here, hear
1: Dom wants to know, I know some of the pitch lines to switch from break fixed MSP were mentioned. Uh, any real life examples it definitely varies from client to client but how are you able to push MSP Um, I think we kind of went over some of that I mean it is it's basically sit down have a good discussion and a very frank discussion you know I mean you have to approach your most likable most you know somewhat large clients and be like and have a frank discussion with them you know just pick one or two out that you've been somewhat jovial and, and good with um and that's it's it's a it's a frank. I mean, it's, you got to have a discussion. I don't really know how else to say it, but it's a it's a hey, buddy. I would like to change some things. Um, let's see here. I'll,
5: I'll add a little color to that Andy. Um, yeah, I think the, just um talking to them about uh, I think the the risk of TNM, uh, and yeah. that the incentive is for you uh, you to support things that are broken. That's how you how you make money. Um, whereas the, if it's under agreement, the incentive is that things run really well and that there's less phone calls, right? So the support ticket volume should drop, uh, uh, dramatically and that you're there kind of always looking at things in the background versus just jump into the pump when things explode. The other one that, um, I've never found a better term for insurance, but it's effectively kind of the insurance approach. It was mentioned a little earlier in chat that, uh, say you get a crypto and yeah, sure, you know, you're paying $200 a month uh, on average, no big deal for break fix. And then you get a crypto event and, you know, you, you're, you're uh, my team is now in there. We've spent 16 hours uh, recovering the server and getting some files back and and we saved it for you, no big deal. But now you've got a $2,000 bill instead of a $200 bill versus if you'd been paying 1200 or, or, uh, 1100 a month, uh, for, uh, a managed service contract, you don't pay anything extra. It doesn't matter how many hours we spent to support you during an emergency you're covered, right? So it's the risk mitigation and also budgeting how much you're actually spending for it, right? That, uh, It's amazing how many people you talk to and you say, what's your IT budget? And they just kind of laugh. They have no idea. It's purely reactive spending. You're going to actually help them work with work with them to figure out this is your IT budget. This is how much we spend. This is how much we need to set aside and actually work with them on the on the business end of of making IT uh, a, a better functional support for the business as a whole. I think those are kind of the general points. The rest of it is somewhat variable based on the client that you're dealing with, maybe what they're going to see value in Uh, some of these circumstances, they have the gatekeeper. So there's the secretary where everyone sends all of their support tickets to them. And she clears whether or not that's okay to go support, to send open a ticket because that's going to, produce a bill or there's the weekend warrior the guys that that is doing part of his uh hours in the office supporting some of the peers uh in in that business eliminate that it's all of those things are unnecessary you can just call us anytime you need and we'll support you straight away right
1: um alfred asked what's the best way to structure a hybrid break fix msp business we have around 30 percent of our clients that will never be managed services but are profitable regular project work. 50% uh, of our clients have a high potential to go managed and a few already are. And then the remainder of those, uh, which I guess would be 20% would just be cut. Um, I've done that hybrid break, fix, and managed services for about two years during my major transition period. It is not easy (laughs) Uh, because you have people who, it's it's just not easy there's nothing excessively you know easy about that and primarily because the break fix guys will always come in whenever there's uh you never know when an event is going to occur with a break fix client and that is the just the unknowing portion of it um your break your your managed clients will always get priority at least for me because they're paying me monthly uh the break fix people typically they should know from the get go, okay, I'm getting this service starting when they pick up the phone and call me. So that means my next available time is, well, it could be later this afternoon or it could be tomorrow or it could be the day after that. Um, It's not easy to tell people that, Hey, I can't get to you for another day or two. Um, But at the same time, you have to be pretty strict and say, Well, if you really need me today, my after hours rate is time and a half of what I normally charge or two times of what I normally charge. So it's not that transition period is never fun. It wasn't fun for me (laughs) because I ended up having to do a lot of after hours stuff. Um, It just wasn't fun, (laughs) But, but but I did make a bunch of money and that helped me pay for uh, one, the training for myself and two, the, the, uh, the tools that I currently use. So it's a win-win, I guess, but it's not fun. (laughs) Um, I hope that answered your question there, Alfred. Uh, okay. Uh, I have six texts, so we're not a one man shop. I just, I can't just cut all the brake fix and go all in as much as I would like to. Yeah. And that's, unfortunately you do have the manpower and the labor to deal with that. So that, that right there helps you a lot. Uh, and dealing with standard break, fix people. I would just, I mean, that's, that's, but again, that is your lure to being a fully managed client is you pick up the phone, you know, they're there for you right now versus break, fix being, well, they're there for you when we can get to you. And that's, and that's one, that's a selling point. I hate to say it, but that's a selling point. You say, okay, what's your current, what are you currently paying me a month? Okay. How much is this, you know, per month? And, and I think one of the, my early, um, early kind of calc- calculations to figure out what to charge people was, how what are my costs in my current stack? What am I providing? What are the costs of that? Uh, what is my client currently paying me and how much do I need above that? Divide that out by their users or the devices, depending on how much, you know, they currently pay you. Uh, I think I. Yeah, I remember what I did now. I took the average of either one year or two years, whichever was higher, over the course you know for what they paid me every month. I divided that by the number of users that they had. I then figured out what my cost per user or per device that I was going to be billing them at, uh, and then figured out how much more it would I would need to get from them, and that's what I went and pitched with. So. You got it. One, you got to make money regardless. Uh, but two, if you can, if you can, if you can break down the financials for some of those tougher clients that don't really ever want to go manage services, if you can break down the financials and say, look, you're only going to be paying this small amount more per user on a monthly basis. Great. Let's figure out how we can make this work for us. Um, uh, I'm not sure about if it'll be available for download. I know it'll be available for watching uh, through YouTube uh, there, Jason. It so I, I'm not well. sure about the chat and Q&A, but <laughs> definitely the video.
4: You always come to the uh, Zoom room that we're typically in to, to ask stuff um, for those that go in there as well. Yeah. So yeah,
1: all the videos are, yep. Um, so so, Alfred, I hope that so real quick
0: to answer that question. Um, this right now is being streamed live to YouTube. So, um, you'll be able to hop on to youtube.com slash MSP webinars anytime and watch any parts you missed the chat and Q and um, I, I don't make those available for download just because, um, I do this for free guys. <laughs> uh, so, so I, you know, the, the webinar, you know, those, those are available all day long, but, the, the chat and Q&A gets, gets a little cumbersome to try and package all that together. I, I have considered other tools uh, for that, and we can have a conversation about that some other time. Okay.
1: Um, and then, uh, Matt, Matthews Kittick, uh, how many of you are converting TNM to MSP and stop doing all TNM? Um, I think the answer to that is you can never get rid of TNM. You can mitigate it and reduce it as much as possible. You will still have project work. Um, Right now, i got a project out in an airport I'm doing. Uh, There will always be clients and new people that will call you and say, hey, do you guys service things? And you can give them your TNM price. Uh, I still have the only clients I have left on TNM are ones that are basically five people shops that. They only call me once every three months, so yeah. TNN break fix. Yeah. Generally,
5: you want a, a seventy-five to twenty-five percent split. Seventy-five percent of your income should be MRR, and twenty-five should be NRR. That's a combination of break fix. If you got some, uh, I, ideally, you should go, try to get rid of it as much as possible. Uh, and if you should definitely be doing projects, so projects should make up twenty-five percent of your income.
1: Projects help you take the girlfriend out for an expensive dinner.
2: I uh, spun all the breakfix <laughs> off to a separate company, so there's one company
3: for manage and there's one company for BreakFix. fix. So I've got one last question before um, before I'm going to have to uh, disappear off myself um, and wrap up. Um, but do any of you guys remember trying something that did not work for converting clients? And that was from Mark. Um, I do definitely. Um, and I get this question asked more and more as time goes on and that's moving everything to the cloud i'm fed up of hearing that question <laughs> can i move everything to the cloud in a short answer no you cannot move everything to the cloud because it just does not work no matter how many times i've tried no matter how many times i've failed they hear this wonderful thing called the cloud and they say that everything works great up there, and in all honesty, it doesn't. It really doesn't. Everyone seems to believe that this will be a case, and I have um, uh, I have tried with um, people coming onto the managed services saying, "Okay, we can move certain things to the cloud." And they're like, "Oh, well, it's so cost uh, cost effective that can I move everything up to the cloud?" When you try and say no. That never goes well. That conversation never gets <laughs> gets anywhere you want it to. So for me, yes, there have been many occasions where it, it has sometimes stonewalled the conversation. Um, and I think we've all been there. We've all tried it. Uh, yeah. So, um, But anyone else want to take it? I think on? Uh, to
2: James's point, you don't always need to go to the cloud and maybe take the time to explain that to them if you can build a solid enough infrastructure and system on site it's it could be just as good as the cloud
3: yeah well i mean it's active directory for one just to give everyone an example if you don't know active directory in the cloud is painful to run at the best of times not if you put a Um, domain controller in there and you, you do it the right way if you do it hybrid that's a different kettle of fish, but moving everything to the cloud where you have no servers on site, and everything works. That's my opic at this point. Yeah, it's, it's a dream that we all have, but I'm pretty sure it's going to take a while. Uh, for Ryan, sorry, James, um, I
2: have seven user accounts, but I charge them my 10 user minimum. It's not about uh, how many employees they have. It's if they're willing to make the investment in themselves. If they're not, move on to the next one.
3: Anyway, I was just going to add one more thing. Um, For those of you out there that are thinking about doing MSP, let me give you this advice. Do it. Don't look back. I made that decision at the beginning of this year. And in all honesty, it's been an uphill battle. And yes, on a few occasions I have not slept the entire night because I've been working on getting stuff done. But the end result for me has been fantastic. And I I look forward to the time ahead of what I end up getting done in the process. Go on,
2: Johnny. I will say, invest in your company. Get the right... Spend your money on getting the right paperwork and contracts done. That will protect you more than anything else in the future. And... Don't use a Terra. Don't use Ninja. <laughs> no,
4: what do you do oh, now we're batching our mentals. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, <laughs> I think.
1: Well, and one of the other things is
4: is what you don't want to
1: do when you're trying to convert somebody is walk in there on the first time you're having a business meeting with them with numbers. Mm-mm. Do not do that you will have a bad day and you'll get laughed out of the office.
0: One, one thing that your I...
1: first question in your first meeting with them should be, how is your business currently running? Do you like the way that your infrastructure is running? Do you <laughs> like the way, what is wrong? What could be better? You should not ever ask a question about, well, what about this particular solution? Do you like these antiviruses better? They don't care. Let's they really don't. Here, okay, they just want it to work. They want to make money. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't walk in there guns blazing. I want to convert you guys. Here's my price. Let's get out, sign, the, you know, out, sign this contract, get out the door.
0: So And don't, and don't do this pitch. I use this tool and it does all these things for yes. me um, and I use this, these tools yeah. and they do this and they don't care. You oh. know, if, if, if a plumber comes to your house to fix your toilet, do you care what flip and wrench they're using? No. What brand? Oh, no. Yeah. I don't, what do I, what is the result I'm going to get? Is my toilet going to flush? Are they going to remove the giant clog?
2: I don't know how big of a clog is it. Huge. My son for something so big. Are we still telling people that we take care of your IT so you can focus on your business?
0: Duh. That's all we tell everyone, right?
2: I haven't told any of my clients that. Maybe that's why they're my clients. Maybe. (laughs) So
0: so so, so, but my, my point is they don't care what tools you use. In fact, they don't care how the watch is made. They just want to know what time it is.
4: There we go.
5: Yep.
0: So um when when you're going in there and you're selling something to a client, tell them what time it's gonna be, man. That's all they want to know. Are are my are my are my things are my things gonna work? Yeah. They're gonna work great. Your employees are gonna be so productive. I don't know why. But they will. Probably. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I wrap up.
0: Yes. So, um, yes. Uh, Ryan, to answer your question, uh, yes, some of us work on Macs. Um, if you are a guy that wants to do managed services for Mac computers, Apple computers, there's a tool out there called Adigee. A-D-D, I-G-Y. I have been trying to get them on for a webinar for, oh, I don't know, a year. And it's going to happen someday, guys. I promise that there's a 100% chance that they may do it, okay? Um, energy. Quality product. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like lab tech, but for a Mac. So it, it manages more than I've ever seen any other tool manage on an Apple computer. So that said, um, I think it's time for us to wrap up. Thank uh, you so much, everyone. Todd, thank you. It looks like you're, you're getting out of here. Um, Todd, would you like to educate people about Evolved real quick?
5: Uh, sure. I, the, I threw up a link if you want to join the mailing list. That's the easiest route. Uh, otherwise, it is a itisabusiness.com. Uh, you can hit up the website and check things out there always a pleasure. Thanks, Steve.
0: Thanks, Todd. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Johnny, thank you very much. I, I, uh, I could not have done this without any of you. Uh, James, it's, it's gotta be 1130 at night for you. Possibly, possibly 430 yesterday morning. I really don't know how the (laughs) time difference thing works. You know, especially with the the American to metric conversion with, I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, I I can give you the lottery
3: numbers if you want.
0: (laughs) What
3: was was that? I can give you the lottery numbers if you want.
0: (laughs) Yes, please. Please. It doesn't work that way, I don't think. Um, Ben, always a pleasure. Andy, uh, you have been, I've never seen you talk this much. With with so much nice things to say.
2: <laughs> Curses a lot.
0: Usually, usually Andy is just saying really mean things to me. Um, I kid. Andy's a great guy. So uh, with that said, um, all right, next week is a week off for the the regular webinars if you're a a member of msp webinars next week is the round table um i believe the the four of you are members so i believe the four of you will be joining us for the round table which um is always really
2: cool is uh whoever's coming to the round table if they they want to send in some questions prior to maybe we can prep some uh
0: answers yeah yeah um it's yeah I mean, basically, let's look at the roundtable as a way for you to talk about anything. If you want to talk about pricing or what RMM is better than the other, and what what tool should I use?
2: Connect wise, yes,
4: just wow. okay. in the zoom room.
2: Because uh,
0: okay, so you know, <laughs> not, not <good. laughs> so so we can do all that. Um, or if you want to talk about a, a current situation you're in, whether it's A potential sale, or uh, an employee that you think you might need to fire, or you know anything. Okay, we've we've not all of us have been there, but someone in that room will have been there, and and we want to help you guys. Okay,
2: have your lawyer do it. (laughs) Have your lawyer do it.
0: So, uh, uh, the week after that, on the I want to say it's the nineteenth, we have Bit Defender, and that one's going to be a very cool one. They're going to demo their product for us. Um, They're going to show us every little nook and cranny of the Gravity Zone solution. So we'll be able to see uh, not just the antivirus, but web content filtering, uh, endpoint encryption, and more. And then uh, the 26th is Carver. And they're going to talk about um, how you can use... I mean, obviously, it's it's all about their solution, right? But they're going to talk about how you can use security solutions to differentiate yourself from the other average Joes who might just be using log me in and calling themselves a managed service provider and, uh, and, and using that tool as the differentiator for you to get yourself more MSP clients at a higher per user uh, income. So I I look forward to all of these we have coming up. And uh, if, if I didn't say it before, I said it before. Uh, If you become a member of MSP webinars, right now I'm running the special. It's $197 a year, so you get to um, get more than two months free by signing up for a year, and you get access to the onboarding documentation that we mentioned. Uh, $500 in credit with Cloudberry Lab for backups. Um, the, The IT boost solution, instead of $50 per user, minimum five users, Minimum one user. So uh, lots and lots of value for members. Uh, Just by signing up, you you can save hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So uh, with all that said, uh, any last words,
4: guys? Good. Thanks for having me.
0: Go do MSP. (laughs)
4: Yes.
0: (laughs) Go be proactive. All right, guys. Uh, Thanks again so much for coming. Uh, if, If you enjoyed this video, please like and subscribe on YouTube and you all have a great day.